0: Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark for an episode of Wuxia Workshop, and we're talking about Brave Archer 2. This is the sequel to Brave Archer, and it's directed by Chang Che. It's a 1978 film, and it's an attempt to put the classic Louis Cha story, Legend of Condor Heroes, also known as Eagle Shooting Heroes, onto the big screen. And, uh, you know, it, it takes certain liberties because of time constraints, uh but i quite enjoy this version and i think that it's a, uh it's a good introduction to a lot of the source material um and and so joel and i have been delving into this it's interesting also because it's a trilogy and, and it stars alexander fusheng as guo jing who and so you know uh over at Wuxia weekend we're doing the alexander fusheng month so it kind of pairs nicely with what we already have going on on friday um, so before we get into the plot and all of that, uh, Joel, what was your reaction to the second movie? Did it, did it, was it as enjoyable as the first? Did you find this to be a dip?
1: Yeah, uh, no, no, this this was enjoyable as the first. And actually it kind of had a, a, an Avengers vibe to it since it, it had already like introduced a bunch of characters in the last one and introduced new ones in this one. Like there was a few shots that were kind of like Avengers money shots where like it's clear the audience was supposed to know. Oh, look at yes. this guy! It's the fist guy with the cape. He's showing up now. Whoa! Oh, it's the beggar sect. Are, are this- you thinking of the scene uh,
0: where when the leader of of Iron Palm Sect is sort of standing in the wind as he's doing his palm technique? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Got the cape going. He looked. It was awesome. Yeah.
0: And I and I, oh, and I should mention before we continue that uh, that Joel's on on dad duty tonight, so there may be some sounds in the background. But we're you know we're and so and we what we may end up doing is when the sounds become too much we'll cut and then we'll resume so if you hear stopping and starting that's the reason but we're going to try to minimize that so you may still hear some, some noise uh, so I'm, I'm sorry Joel go on
1: no that's, that's fine that's a pretty accurate assessment I'm on dad duty uh, it is school tomorrow so this is going to be a little more cleared up but you're going to hear some cackling and thumping from the background and if that turns into shrieks then I'm going to have to go and dad for a minute uh, but yeah that's what's going on there
0: but but yeah, so I'm sorry. Continue with um, uh, just your reaction.
1: Oh, to, okay, yeah, my reaction. Sorry, got got two things going on. That's far too many for a father. All right, okay, so it was really cool, and there are a lot of things again, sort of structurally about this movie that were really nifty. Uh, like you and I before uh, we started the podcast here, we're talking about how like they head to this dilapidated inn, and apparently like a lot of stuff that happened to that and have in other places in the Condor shooting heroes. And so the filmmakers, when they were creating this, like just kind of use that as a sort of a locational node for all of these different characters and sects to come in and do the things they did in the novel. And it really works because there's a linchpin uh, to the middle of that where, uh, where Gua Jing is is wounded and he's, him and uh, Huan Rong are, are both using this technique to heal him but it requires them to stay there with their palms linked for seven solid days so they're basically just watching out of this little peephole as all this stuff goes on and they keep <laughs> like it's almost comedic because uh, Gludgeon keeps going for a sword like oh we gotta, we gotta intervene because he's such an impulsive hero and she's like no you idiot you're almost healed calm down so that's a lot and, of fun.
0: It, and it puts a lot of time. I mean, it really, uh, you know, the stakes are high because they can't be interrupted. So, it, so there's all these. It, 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 they're not just watching these things. There are these things that they they kind of almost need to intercede in. Like the yep. bad things are happening, and they can't really do much about them. Um, and so it just it just is a. I, I, it's 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 it, it, It's one of the more classic moments in the story and in the uh, in the movies and in the series. Um, but uh, but yeah, and I think uh, just to give people. I guess a breakdown of you know the plot in this movie. Uh, th- this this follows the the, the uh, you know where we ended in in Brave Archer. It has a little segment that kind of is like a a, 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 a concise narration of a bunch of events that occurred, where uh, we learn that uh, that that the master of Peach Blossom Island Huang Yaoshi. Is upset at Guajing Jing and kicks him off the island because he he learns that uh, you know Zhu uh, Batong had um had had, had taught him the, uh, the the to memorize the words beforehand and and he ends up leaving on a boat and through a sort of elaborate s- series of events, uh, trapped on an island where he has to contend with um, Uyung Feng, and so it's him the leader of beggar sect. And uh, and Huang Rong dealing with U Young Feng and U Young and U Young Feng uh, basically has kidnapped uh, Huang Rong and is willing to exchange her in exchange for the Nine Min- Yin Manual, which Guo Jing has in his head. And so uh, the beggar chief tells him to just you know change things here or there so he has a sl- an inaccurate version of it. And, and and that'll do and so there's a big fight but the end result of the fight is that um, uh, uh, young Fung and and Hong Qigong the leader beggar clan agree to have a a duel at a later date but as Hong Qigong is is walking away U young Fung just palms him in the back and, uh, yeah, and to really yeah have some up yep and so that this leads to a whole series of events where uh, where Hong Qigong has to uh, there's there's this big uh, beggar clan meeting coming up. And all the while, the jin are, are trying to take over the, the the song. And so they want the beggars to go far south and not interfere. And so they're trying to pay off different leaders and things like this. And uh, Hong Qigong needs to go to this meeting so he can sort of rally the beggars against the jinn. And uh, he passes his, and transmits his techniques to, to Huang Rong and makes her the nineteenth beggar chief so that she can go do it on his behalf. However, uh, over the course of the movie, over a course of series of you know events that occur, uh Yang Kong ends up obtaining the stick and uh, the the dog kind beating of falls stick. into his lap really Yeah, yeah he, he he obtains the dog beating stick and he, he is able to use that to try to take over the beggar clan on behalf of the Jin and get them to go south. And so there's a big final confrontation, at at uh, uh you know at the beggar meeting, uh and they eventually oust Yang Kang and Huang Rong and Guo Jing are able to sort of assert control, and then they because this master of the Iron Palm Sect had arrived and he was paid by the Jin to sort of, you know get get the beggars to to go south. Uh they, they end up, and so they follow the lead of the Yu Fei manual at the. Uh, which they think is an iron palm sect, and that's where the movie ends. And the Yufei manual is sort of a, a big uh, plot point over the course of the movie. And I obviously skipped over a heck of a lot of stuff. <laughs> so in light of that, why don't you uh, you know what are so what are some of the sequences and scenes that you think are worth commenting on and and discussing before we get into sort of the gamification of the sequel to Brave Archer?
1: Uh, well. Much like the last one of these movies, there's a lot of really cool fights. And, like, I think at least a couple of them are extremely cool. Uh, like, uh, that, that, uh, well, even at the, the very beginning of the movie, uh, where, what's um, uh, oh, it, uh, Ouyang Feng and Ouyang Ka are, like, uh, okay, so, Ruan writes the false manual, and then he escapes uh, with uh, Hong Gong and Huang Rong, and they're like, oh, we gotta get out of here, and they're just immediately ambushed and, okay, so Bear King gets poisoned and injured by this evil Kung Fu and, and then Ouyang Feng, the freaking western evil, goes after Jing, who is way, way lower level than him and, like, they're fighting almost like equals and, like, it's clear that there's, like, you know, an imbalance of power and skill but in a, in a twist of uh, uncharacteristic cunning, I guess, Jing jumps on top of a boulder and uses Kung Fu to break it and although, uh, uh, Ouyang uh, Feng is able to move it upside, away from himself. It falls on Cuz legs and breaks them, and they remain broken for the rest of the movie. Like he doesn't even walk the rest of the movie. He like hobbles on crutches. Yep. and that's great. I love that. There were so many cool things that happened in that scene. No, that uh, was
0: yeah. I, I mean I, I also just like how just evil Ouyang Feng was. Just like the like the the whole thing the whole thing where he you know he 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 hits Hong Chi Gong in the back and. And in this kind of setting, that's that's not a minor thing. They'd agree, like in especially in Lewis Cha books, this whole thing where you agree to fight at a later date at an appointed time. That is like a really big point of of uh, of you know, for lack of a better word, just like the honor code among the you know the uh, the the martial heroes. And so you see characters do this all the time. And usually, even the worst people in the world will agree to like meet you at a later point and fight with you if if that. If that sort of thing is said, and here he just exploits that and poisons him from behind. It's you know it's the equivalent of shooting somebody in the back, uh, right? It's
1: it's a real dirty deal kind of yeah. move, and like that, it's a moment of like moral event horizon for Feng You know, yeah. like and, you know he's a bastard at that point. And it's not
0: the first, it's not the last time we see him do something like that. Later on, there's this great battle uh, with uh, the the Chuanzhen Taoists and, uh, and, and and Huang Yaoshi and, and Mei Chao Feng. And, yeah. and and uh, and and initially U young Fung is acting like he is an ally of Huang Yaoshi and he even appeals to Huang Yaoshi's uh, sense of chivalry because when they arrive at the scene the, the Tuan and Daoists are all fighting with Mei Chao Fung and so it's seven on one and young Fung is like oh like you know they're bullying a, a woman you know like seven on one and, and uh, blind uh, a blind woman yeah, 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 yeah a blind woman and so <laughs> and so uh, 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 but Young Fung ends up uh, you know ex- 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 trying to trying to, uh, to to attack Huang Yaoshi during the battle and Mei Chao Fung in, uh, you know jumps in between them and sacrifices herself and it's a really great scene number one because Mei Chao Fung her character has been kicked out of Peach Blossom Island sect and Huang Yaoshi is the master and she you can tell she desperately wants to return to the fold, but she stole a manual, she's done all these horrible things. He crippled a bunch of people in the wake of her stealing the manual. You know, I mean you, you, you know you, you catch glimpses of this throughout the whole story and and uh, and so it's just really a nice sense of completion for the character when she when she uh, when she's able to, you know uh, block the attack from young Fung and then and then uh, you know be accepted in before she dies like that. Uh, I, I think her at, her last act is to bow, uh,
1: you know, she kowtows to him. So, yes, yeah, a surprisingly heroic end to what I thought was going to be a much more diabolical character. But no, nah, nah, she has a really chivalrous uh, end. That's another kind of thing about uh, Huang Yaoshi I've, I've got quite a man crush on Huang Yaoshi That guy is amazing. Master of Peach Blossom Island. He's got cool magic. He is this dapper scholar fellow. He's such a badass. And he will make you married to someone. That's the thing he will do to you.
0: Yeah, he's he's very good at. Uh, he's a very good matchmaker. We discover, um, and he's and he's he's a very interesting figure. And you learn a lot more about him. I feel in uh, in the Return of Condor Heroes story because he has a pretty big role in that book too. Um, so you know you want to pay attention to characters like U Young Feng and Huang Yao because you know. They become much very important in in the sequel return of condor heroes um so you know uh and and uh are there any other scenes uh before we move into the gamification
1: that you think are important and worthy of comment uh, yeah uh Uyang dies in this movie and like i wasn't anticipating that because he's such a freaking badass also, he was wounded in the first scene, and I thought that that was going to pay dividends for a while longer, and, like, it does, it does all the way up until he dies, but, like, he gets killed, and, uh, it happens in a really interesting way, because, like, okay, so he winds up at that end, uh, after, uh, Ruang has been injured, and he's, like, seriously hurt. And he's got like a technique for healing himself, but it requires him and Huang Rong to basically hold hands for a week and pass their chi back and forth to heal him. And they can't talk to anyone else, and they they they're just stuck. So they go into this little secret room, close the door, and they're like, "Okay, we're safe. We got seven days. No problem." And just this parade of awful stuff happens outside their room. Um, one of those things is that Oyong uh, Ke uh, just just goes nuts at one point, and he's like. He figures out where they are, and there's these, like, unrelated heroes that wander in, which, again, are probably really important in the broader story of Condor Heroes, but I, I don't know who they are. They just wander the heck in. And he starts tormenting them, and, like, I- I'm going to kill these guys. You're going to watch him die unless you come out here and save me. And who shows up but uh, yon Well who's just, just like- threatened
0: to kill them. I mean, he,
1: he threatens to really... You know, yeah, to uh, demean them and all yeah, this horp yeah. stuff. Like he's just going like full anime bad guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that, that holds a lot of water with the wushi audience, but at some like I don't know what it is about anime characters, but like they have that same thing in common—that crazy look in their eye, or they're like, "I'm not just gonna be evil. I'm gonna be so evil it's kind of sickening." Mm-hmm. And, like that's what he had going on. And Yang Kong, who was way outmatched by him at this point, by the way, comes in and he's just like, "Oh." Uh, I brought some wine and food for you, you know, we could just chill out, and he, like, he puts a sword on the table, and then he, like, takes the the knife he was born with, which has his brother's name on it, and knifes him under the table, and freaking, even Ouyang is like, holding the knife in his stomach, and he's like, I lived my whole life to be killed by a yeah. rat like you, Well, and it's funny,
0: too, because the the scene that that reminds me of instantly is the scene where Gua Jing kills, um, uh, uh, Mei Chao Feng's husband, in the uh, in the very beginning, and he says almost the same exact thing. Like you know, I never thought I'd be like like whenever these great masters are killed by a lesser person, it's always you know I never thought you know someone like you would kill me. Um, so it's you know uh, it, it's it's but yeah, I think that scene really emphasizes Yang Kang's cunning and his is is he's got a real sort of sneaky evil about him because. Number one, he, he comes back, and he, and superficially he's sort of presenting himself as trying to rescue uh, Muñanzi, the uh, character played by Karahui in this, uh, mm-hmm. who who is also on the scene. Um, but but he has a deeper motive, which is he wants to learn uh, the the kung fu of U Young Fung. But U Young Fung will only train somebody w- within his family, and he's already made U Young his 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 heir. So he. So he thinks by killing U Young he can worm his way into becoming U Fung's student, and uh, and it's kind of I don't know it's just like a really devious, devious sort of scheme. Um, I
1: know he is super schemy and devious in this movie. He was a very enjoyable character, like because exiting that scene, uh, one of the things that happens is a uh, is uh Uyung Ke is like taunting the the heroes and uh, Huang Rong, who has the dog beating stick from the beggar sect, for again going into some deep territory there. But she loses it. And so whenever Cuz killed, like on his way strolling out, Yong Kong's like, Huh, oh, cool stick. Picks it up. And he's wandering the town later on, and all the beggars are like, oh, you got the dog-beating stick. You must be the new head. And he's like, yeah, I'm that. And he manages to just just completely on the fly turn that whole situation to his advantage. Yeah, Really and, cool
0: stuff. And he just happens to meet Elder Peng, who's one of the, you know, uh, one of them one of one of sort of a, a man after his own heart. Um, yeah, Elder Peng. A... It, it's it's funny how like how quickly he he sneaks up on you with his evil Elder Peng. He just, you know, at first you, you 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 know you don't realize it, and then just, you just he just he's a he's a he's a very uh, I don't know very very interesting character. But um, but yeah, so so I mean, obviously that scene. And I have some information that might kind of blow your mind because I don't think it's in the movie. Um, oh, maybe it was, and I, I didn't notice it, but I know it's in the book, which is. I probably never um, looked at so. Um, Young is the son of U Young Fung. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he 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 believes that he's U Young Fung's nephew, but we learn later on in the book that he's actually his son because U Young Fung had an affair with his sister-in-law or something. Um,
1: oh, I get you. So, <laughs> so that's we why. The but,
0: but that's character. why. But that's why he's. Uh, You know, it's a significant plot point when Uyung Ku dies, and Uyung Feng is kind of like, "Hey, where's my where's my nephew?" Um, Mm -hmm. You know. uh, But um, but yeah. So I don't know any any other key scenes that you wanted to
1: to raise. The only other one I wanted to talk about was the very ending scene uh, where Captain Fistomancer shows up to punch people. And I'm also going to talk about it in relation to RPG stuff because it's neat that he comes in. He's introduced in that scene. And within seconds, he's established how big of a badass he is, and the ultimate fight of the movie is with him, and it's a good payoff, even though, like, he's not been in the movie for more than maybe 12 minutes total. It's a very cool way to introduce, like, mini-bosses and things into your campaign. It's a good technique to have, is establish how cool they are right away, so the fight with them, even if it's just right in that same scene, it's something satisfying, and that's kind of an emotional payoff
0: yeah that's um uh that's chitron ren i'm probably pronouncing it wrong but he's the leader of iron palm sect and um and and it's it's just a um uh you know it's a it's a really great performance by lomong
1: and oh uh my God, it's a really good performance and like physically he's really intimidating he's like a living brick
0: yeah no i mean that, you know there's, there's a reason why he's one of the uh one of the more popular venoms um but uh and, and and also this 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 movie is is kind of a, um, uh, you know it's a, it's, a, it's an early sampling of you know you get, you get that you know many of the Venom ca- uh, actors playing you know much different roles than you might normally see them in um, you know like Philip Kwok is Juba Batong who you know is you know another character here um, but yeah that that final scene
1: uh, well what was it that you liked about that scene particularly. Um. Well, there's lots to appreciate in it. Uh, mostly, it's it's one of the it's a really nice bow to the whole movie because all the plot threads kind of meet up at the end really nicely. And I commented on that in the last one too, where like in the last scene they managed to tie it all together in a really intense way. Like they've got uh, lodging and Huang Wong tied up. Uh, Yang Kong has fooled all the beggar sect into believing that he's the new like beggar king kind of. And then and then I'm just gonna keep calling Captain Fistamander. his name is not in my notes. That uh, He comes in, and as it turns out, he works for the djinn, and he's there to beg the beggar sect, or, like, bribe the beggar sect to moving uh, south the Yangtze River, and Oho oh, looks like the prince of the djinn is actually in charge of the beggar sect now. It's wonderful! Like, it's great to see the bad guys have all the upper hands, and then... Like, after after a few minutes of meditating on the North Star, Giao Jing is like, oh, okay, that's what the, the manual was talking about. I get it now. Hmm. And he breaks out of his bonds, and he starts fighting people uh, along with Huang Rong. And, like, there's so much that's... Like, okay, so earlier on in the movie, Huang Rong gets taught uh, all these different stick techniques uh, by um, uh, Joe... Uh, Joe... Zhao Botong. And... Uh, oh, no, she
0: gets taught the stick techniques by... Uh... Um, oh, Hong no, Gong
1: Yeah, right. Hong uh, yeah, Hong yeah, sorry, I was confusing old naughty. No, that's okay. I, I
0: should sure. say here, there are a lot of characters in this movie, and and yeah, and, uh, and, and, <laughs> and, and 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 so it it, t- it takes a while to get to get familiar with all of them. It, it um,
1: does, but they are all very distinct characters. I only mixed up a couple of them, and it's because they they wore very plain looking outfits. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone has something very visually distinct about them. They have unique names, unique talents, and a very important and, and well-defined role in the story. So much like, say, Star Wars has a lot of characters, so does this, and you get to know them.
0: Well, and speaking, yeah. speaking of Star Wars, that's one of the things that I always feel at the end of Part 2, is that reminds me so much of Star Wars for some reason. I don't know why. Like, that, yeah. like, you know, there's like a... um, There's just something about the way this one ends. Like, I mean, I know, obviously, Empire Strikes Back ends with... Uh, there, yeah, much much more of a down note with a wounded hero and all that, which we do get in the sequel to uh, Legend of Condor Heroes. But this one kind of reminds me of, uh, of, I don't know, something about where the plot is in that movie, where you you kind of you have the character sort of looking towards their next step. Do you know what I mean? Like. The...
1: Structurally, yeah, there's there's a lot in common, because the first Star Wars, or the fourth Star Wars, I guess, has that same thing where it feels like it's a complete story, then the second one feels like there's more that you're not going to get to see right now. And, and both of those, if you compare all four of the movies, they both have that same kind of vibe to them, yeah. where in this one it feels like there's more things in motion that we're going to see soon. Yeah. I didn't feel that so much in the first one. The first one felt like we pretty much wrapped it up. Yes, yes
0: and now i feel like it's blossomed into a larger world like you realize wow there's all this palm sect that they have to go to now and who knows what else like you know there's there's, Mm. so it just kind of explodes into this you know like the the this expansion of the setting um so and so that i guess that's what i'm maybe keying in on i don't know also just the general vibe of the the beggar camp and just you know it's all of the i don't know i just i just love that scene for some reason um and yeah, and like you said there's this, a
1: betrayal there which like uh, Lando kind of betrays him to the empire yeah. and like you know the the beggars get betrayed like there's a lot that like it, it echoes you know like yeah. I'm with you there and, yeah.
0: and and one thing that maybe isn't as apparent in the movie that's more apparent in the books and in the series is just how big of a betrayal that is because in the book there's just a lot more time for Yang kong to develop and for him to be like he and Guo Jing are sworn brothers by this point. Do you know what I mean like they've, like they've had like, like that, like it's a real betrayal. It's a betrayal of his father. It's a betrayal of, to, to Gua Jing. And that's why there's that scene where in the movie, it almost seems like Quang Rong is like very coldly saying, let's murder Yang Kang when he least expects it. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, cause, cause they see him, uh, hesitating. He, he walks up to the, to the Jin prince and, Takes out his dagger a little bit, and it looks like he's going to try to get revenge for his father. Then he puts the dagger back in, and he and he puts a a little sheer gown over over the Jin Prince and accepts him as his father. And they're furious that he's accepting this villain as his father. Um, oh yeah, they're mad. And, and 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 Huang Rong especially, and 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 I think largely because you know the betrayal of, of Gua Jing, um, but but I mean it's almost it's almost like uh, surprising how she's just like okay he's weaker than us he's not any. he's not he's nowhere near Uyung Fung we can kill him anytime we want we'll just track him down and murder like she doesn't use the word murder but she basically is saying we're gonna track him down and murder him um it, it's a you know she, she does not like him um and so and that plays out in Return of Condor Heroes in a very in a very uh, very cool way I think
1: also I, I think I mean, this oh, is go so ahead. good I might watch this on my own time <laughs> we could talk about it way later down the line
0: yeah, yeah, it's uh um and and so oh, and another thing that I I I did want to kind of dig into again before we go on to the gaming stuff. The whole thing with uh with, with him and you you just brought it up and I think we kind of got sidetracked uh with when Hong Gong transmits his techniques to her and makes her the the new beggar chief. That's such a cool character transformation. Like like that like suddenly she like it's this development that that echoes over the course of all the remaining uh uh you know uh chapters and in all the uh and into the next book and i don't know i I just really like that it's something like i you wouldn't think to do that necessarily somehow like i wouldn't like if i were writing the story i would not have thought hey i need to make Huang Rong the leader of beggar clan
1: do you know what i mean it's it's an interesting mix of elements but when you think about it uh Jing meets her as a beggar she's acting like a beggar at the point So she's a great candidate when you really consider it, and I think um, I think Honky Gong like he he sees that in her. It's like yep. this is this is where you belong. So very cool. Very yeah. No. Cool. No. Yeah. And
0: it totally it totally is like something that ties back to stuff that she's done earlier in the book. It just wouldn't have occurred to me. It just wouldn't. <laughs> you know, it, it it would seem like well that's a bit like I would like my initial impulse would be well that's a bit much to add on to a character who's already well this well fleshed out.
1: Um, yeah, and I think that the, the thing is, the storytelling is so masterful that, like everyone else in her life, we're looking at her as the daughter of Huang Yaoshi. Yeah. But in her heart, that's not her character, and the author knew that.
0: And so, well, and that's, I mean, that's a whole other thing. I, I, I really want to see your reaction to Huang Rong and Guo Jing in the return of Condor heroes context, because it's very interesting watching them go from being the protagonists in this story to being kind of like elders or important, uh, important supporting characters in the, in the sequel. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have to figure out the best way to do that. Cause unfortunately there's not as there, there are, so there is brave archer and his mate, which is kind of like the unofficial fourth movie of, of this franchise. And that gets into the beginning of *Return of Condor Heroes*, and then there's little Dragon Maiden, but I'm not—I don't think they're quite as good as introductory material to the to the source as the Brave Archer is. Do you know what I mean? Like the Brave Archer, um, doing
1: a really good job. Yeah, like there's, there's a lot of great stuff in here. But the
0: but the alternative is to watch like to either read the books or watch a fifty-episode TV series. So we might have to settle for. You know, doing the uh, brave archer and his mate and little dragon maiden.
1: But, uh, I don't know, man. I, I've binge watched a few series here lately. I might be able to. Is it like hour long episodes or yeah, is it they're like hour
0: long? Half- and uh, oh. and and here's the thing. I mean, depending on how quick you read, you might be better off just reading the book. I don't know. Like I I did Am the I-, I did I did a read through of the book last year, and I did a uh, uh, an overview of the whole series last year, episode by episode with Adam, and I think it took me just as long to do both. Um, so. You know, because each episode is an hour and each episode is basically a chapter in the book. The chapters are kind of long, so I don't know exactly if it I don't know if it lines up exactly but but I mean, it's pretty close like you're you're looking at like fifty hours of viewing material uh, if you're if you're watching the series so.
1: the last one I binge watched was Twin Peaks, so I think it's only like forty episodes, but it took me a few weeks to, to hobble yeah. through it. It's, you know, you got a live toy. You can't just sit there watching TV and, all day.
0: And I don't remember the exact number. It might be anywhere between 42 and 50 or something like that. But, I mean, that's the general, you know. And and the books are 40 chapters each. So, um, divided into four volumes, usually. Uh, but, yeah, so so I don't know. Any any other topics before we dive into the gaming thing?
1: I think we nailed it.
0: <laughs> all right, all right. So, so, on the gaming, I guess the first thought I had was unusual hooks in terms of you know adventure hooks and and so like in this one we get an example where you know they have to sneak into the imperial palace because hong qigong is hungry and wants to eat nice food and and yeah there's 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 absolutely no compelling need for him to go there aside from you
1: know something else that's discovered when they arrive but oh yeah uh, that was interesting structurally because, yeah, he's just like, you know what I want right now? To eat a king's feast. Yeah. And they're like, well, oh, let's break into the imperial palace and and hold the chef hostage and make him cook for you. And they do that. And then with, while they're there, completely coincidentally, they're like, oh, hey, all those guys that are trying to kill us are all trying to steal this kung fu manual. Let's go stop them. Well, and they just kind of hide him there in the kitchen.
0: Well, I, I guess I guess another topic that raises is sort of the the scaling of characters in, in RPGs and, and in, in a Wuxia game. If you have characters that have reached the levels of skill that Hong Gong has and that uh, Zhu Batong and, and Guo Jing at this point, I mean, they can decide to do something like that. They have enough they have enough power that they, you know they can say, "Hey, let's go into the White House and get ourselves a good meal." Um, you know, and and who's going to really stop them? Um, you know, as long as they're smart about it. Uh, so, you know, and that—that's something that is, a, is a game master you have to contend with when when characters when characters have palm techniques that can like you know shatter shatter the ribs of forty men. You know, oh yeah, that that makes
1: that, soldiers. That comes from the palace too, because okay, so it's not as though any of the villains were invited. They came there to steal a manual, and they do. When the palace guards show up. Um, Ouyang Feng does one attack, and like all of them fly back. Yeah. And so instead of rushing forward to kill them, they're like, "Okay, let them leave, and chase after them now to yeah. save face because we can't beat them."
0: Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you know, it, 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 again, so you, again, and that's something that you have to deal with as a GM, or, or not something you have to deal with. That's something you have to accept as a GM. If you yep. if you have characters that are that are that are walking around with those powers, you know, unless the king has. You know, a retinue of guards that are also at that power level—they're going to be able to walk in and, and storm the palace. Um, another, another
1: the- oh, what was that? To put a pin in that, one of the reasons I like the Adventure of Conqueror King system is yeah. because the assumption is the highest level character is the but king, so that okay. helps a lot with that. No, that's uh, that,
0: uh, that 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 does make sense, and that's and and in a way, that's kind of what ends up happening if you allow a role-playing game to play itself out naturally. Yeah. And in a lot of cases I mean there could be exceptions but usually the guy with the most power becomes the you know the head honcho more show, you know? or less
1: yeah. and if not in name then they become the power behind the throne yeah. it's really rare for me to run a game to high level where the PCs aren't kind of in charge of the setting whenever we leave off yeah.
0: and um and so, but the other thing that raises is the prospect of a villainous party because you have this evil party that it, you know goes to the same location as them for other purposes and is sort of their rival, you know, for the first half of the film it seems. Um, and so I thought that that was a, a I don't know, a, a cool example of what an evil party might look like. Uh, so the the other thing that I I was thinking uh, was kind of interesting was. Um, the idea of, of of inventing abilities beyond the rules, and I guess this is maybe even a point of discussion because I don't know what your feeling is on this. But there's a moment where um, uh, Elder Pang hypnotizes Huang Rong, and yeah, that yeah. immediately struck. Number one, it's a really cool ability to ha- for the character to have, but it's an ability that we haven't really seen much of in the setting at this point. So as a gamer what it looks like to me it's almost like if this were a campaign i imagine the gm saying i need a guy who can hypnotize so i'm gonna come up with that ability for the character because most systems are not going to
1: have uh a hypnosis a very particular but, ability yeah, yeah. Um, and that that was kind of my feeling on it too i was like if that manifested in a game would that be really cheesy or not and it, it is kind of cheesy, but you got to remember a few things about it. Even though it is an overwhelming power, the characters do figure out how to beat it, and they do beat it in a head-to-head combat later on. Yes. So it's not like they don't have any, like, way to deal with that. And in a well-structured game, in my opinion, a GM can introduce elements like that and hook them into the way the characters have of solving problems or surviving danger. For example, if you did it in D&D, you could just make it a spell. Easy as that. There's a little room in there for you to be creative as a GM. And in older versions of D&D, you can just make a save against spells, and if you make it, well, you don't get hypnotized. And it's not out of the realm of possibility to find something that counters that within the context of magic items and rules and other spells. Well,
0: my feeling is this. When I, when I first started GMing, the, the, the idea developed over time of, uh, you know, the GM kind of, you know, like, you're there to, 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 to breathe life into a setting, and and not to just run a, a game system, um, and so the game system is there in service to the setting. And so, if you're if you're if you if you if you're struck by a really interesting and compelling idea like this guy who can hypnotize people in the manner of this character, then you know even if player characters don't readily have access to that ability in the books, the GM should you know just feel free to to invent it in some way you know, within the system or otherwise, and it adds something to the experience. Um, and I feel like over time we moved in the opposite direction and there's this assumption of total parity between uh, PCs and NPCs and monsters. And there's something good about that. I enjoy aspects of it, but you also can lose some of that creativity when it goes too far. Um, and so I think that being able to, you know, inject these things into the game as a GM freely is important. You just don't want to do it in a way where you're doing it because you're trying to make it hard for the players to do something. Do you know what I mean? That's when I think it becomes yeah,
1: your goal should never be to to put something in front of the characters that can't deal with. Yeah. But on the on on the note of the whole parody between players and and monsters and NPCs and things like that. Some of the best parts of RPGs are Saint George versus the dragon, or like a Shadow of the Colossus, little bitty dude versus giant monster. That asymmetrical aspect of challenges is actually really fun and a very classic and important thing that happens in almost every work of fiction. Like even if you go to like like uh, The Journey to the West, time and time again, uh, Sun Wukong, the Monkey King, is fighting demons that are these gigantic monsters, and like that's you can't do that if there's one-for-one one parody. Of course, yep. in, in that, he can actually turn to a giant monster, maybe the best example, but you take my meaning, I'm certain, where, like, if you make St. George and do the dragon, it's fine to see the giant monsters fight. That's cool, but, like, it's different than St. George and the Dragon. Yeah. Godzilla versus Mega Godzilla is a different thing.
0: And, and I wasn't just talking about pa- parody of power, but parody of access. Like, the idea of, well, I'm gonna make a magic spell that's really intended for NPCs, not player characters. Do you know what I mean? That kind of a thing. Um, it, that you know, and then again, you can get into some dicey territory there. Um, but I kind of, I kind of prefer to be having the door open on that. I guess. Do you know what I mean? Um, but but yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a. But in this case, I think what I'm talking about is the uh, you know, you, clearly you're you know you get struck by this idea of hypnosis, and then just sort of you know through through some kind of management of the rules or through, you know, GM fiat, coming up with with it existing within the game. Um, and then if the players probe that, like, you know, maybe, you know, like, so, so my approach would be I would give it to the guy, but then maybe one of the players says, hey, I want to talk to Elder Pang and learn his hypnosis technique. Then you really got to think about, okay. Yeah,
1: you've got to you know, make it something that's player-learnable because... Yeah. Theoretically, Elder Peng is basically a person like they are. So yeah. why couldn't they learn his hypnosis technique? Yeah.
0: And so and I, that's, and it, that's where things get challenging. And I, and I think every game sort of resolves those kinds of problems differently. Um, hmm. One 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 way to sort of handle that stuff though is balancing it out. Like 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 uh, I mean that's not something that Elder Peng can probably do right in the middle of combat. He might he needs at least a few moments to kind of catch your attention with some words. And, yeah. It,
1: it functions kind of similar to the charm spell in D&D, where you can't do that while you're fighting. But if you're not fighting, if you have a minute at a table where you're convincing yeah. someone they want be poisoned, or if everyone stopped fighting, you just come to offer a few kind words to someone, then you can whip out your magic and start messing with their brains.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah so I don't think it would be too big a deal uh, to, 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 to to have an ability that almost functions exactly like the one we saw on screen there. Yeah. Um, and, and another 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 uh, another interesting uh, thing that we saw was the, the healing technique that they used on Gua Jing, which was, uh, yeah. you know, he was deeply wounded, but that shows you the value of, for lack of a better term, casting time, because people will know what we're talking about here. We're talking about Kung Fu techniques, but, you know, this is sort of the more mystical level of Kung Fu where they're channeling Qi energy. And we see a similar technique used by the Chuanzen Taoists, Taoists when they do the star formation, and they... Yeah. Uh, and they and they and they sort of and it's and, and they even say in the in the in the movie, you know, it's based on the same theory as the as the healing technique that they
1: used. Um, oh yeah, they draw a line yeah. between those two. And uh
0: and so but 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 again, just that you know, uh, you know, using using uh balancers like time or balancers like making something situation dependent or Having requiring multiple in people place. in order to, to, to wheel, you know, this, this seven, far, this seven star formation is, is, is powerful, but it takes seven people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then when yeah. one of them dies, the formation is broken. So and that's what happens
1: yeah. one of them gets killed. And then they're like, well, we're do we're dosed. You want to kill us? Go ahead. We're going to leave otherwise.
0: Yeah. So that's a re- that, I mean, that's a really cool ability because that's the, 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 balance is in the fact that once the formation's broken there, you know, <laughs> that's, that's kind that of it. Needs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know, were there, was there any other gameable stuff that, that left to mind for you?
1: Ooh, um, yeah, uh, whenever the palace guards show up in a... It's rapidly becoming my favorite, uh, my favorite scene is whenever they're stealing the manual behind the waterfall. When the guards show up, I, I really love it when groups attack giant really guys that are way out of their league. Mm-hmm. Because I love this idea that, like, that, that you... As a single person can take on a huge mass of people, or like a military unit, or an army, or something like that, I, I always thought that was really neat. I first learned about that in a uh, Exalted Second Edition when I was playing that, and the idea sank real deep into my brain. Apparently, it's it's been around pretty much as long as RPGs have.
0: Well, and it's and and also, well, here's what's interesting. People often talk about how uh, levels and all this stuff comes from RPGs when they see it in video games and stuff like that, and how. Uh, you know things like what you're talking about are, are present in RPGs, but this stuff is also present in in, in, in the source material of um, uh, of the movie that we're watching. So if you were to read Return to Condor Heroes, uh, there's a whole section in there where they actually talk about the, exactly what you're talking about, and the mm-hmm. one of the main characters breaks it down by the numbers. He's like, "This guy is worth a hundred soldiers," and oh, yeah. and then we see that play out on the battlefield. There's an actual war. And and you get a C. this is this is how martial heroes function on the battlefield. This is this is the role they fill in that kind of in that kind it's of scenario.
1: Almost like living battalions. And yeah. actually, point of fact, that's how I designed the war mechanics in my game. I literally every every die that you have is as is a person. A person a normal person rolls one die. So if you have seven die in your effort pool. You are worth seven people.
0: That's really smooth. That's really smooth. Thank
1: you. That's I know I'm really the smooth. man. It's yeah. True.
0: That's a very smooth <laughs> way of doing it. You would definitely like, this, uh, again, I mean, you know, I'm not going to pressure you to read it, but Return of Condor Heroes, I think, would be particularly of interest. Pressure me, Colts. Um, He's doing it. But, uh, but, but, it especially those battle sequences because that really gets gets into this. But also the leveling thing. The the characters regularly speak of levels of kung fu training, and. And there's a point where the villain in Return of Condor Heroes breaks through to the 10th level of this technique that he's trying to master. And he's, like, conscious of the fact that he's gotten to the 10th level. Um, and so it's, a, it, it's something that just sort of – it's interesting because it's, it's a case where the source material actually aligns with a convention within RPGs perfectly. Like, really perfectly, yeah. yeah. Um, where if you – so you – so – and in hindsight, you know, like, when I, when, I, when I was thinking about it, I was like, man – when I did return a Condor Heroes, 10, 10 should have been the number. Like that should have been the pinnacle, of like the profound level. Um, and I and I and I missed the boat on it because I just didn't think to to connect those two dots. But you could you can you can just seamlessly take that kind of leveling thing and port
1: it into any kind of RPG, and it and it'll in function a, in a way that the characters comprehend too.
0: Like, yes. they might not
1: use the exact numerical terms in, like, a lot of Western stuff, but they kind of do. Because it used to be that there were named levels in D&D, like in the older editions, and you could say, oh, that guy's merely a scoundrel, but that guy's a master thief. Yep. And that would describe the difference in their levels and skills, and th- the characters in the, the setting would know what they were talking about, kind of the same way that players would be able to talk well, about them.
0: No, and and the thing is, they actually do speak in terms of the numbers. Now, a lot of times, it it, it will normally be around techniques, so you might see a guy say, like, you know, the... the 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 jade beauty fist has has 10 levels of 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 mastery and i am at the seventh and you're only at the third you know what i mean they'll they'll have that kind of you know those are some of my favorite moments and and i was even thinking you know a good way to like uh if i were to like try to make my d20 version of of wuxia now one way i might do it is i might have every technique be a class and and have an expansive multi-class system um so that you can d- dive as deeply into each technique as you desire, you know, up to say ten levels. Um, and I don't know. I thought that would be. I, I I haven't thought about it enough to know if it actually like there might be something hugely obvious I'm overlooking. Um, but uh, but every once in a while, like once you've made like a whoosha game, you sort of think, well, how would I do it now? And and that's that's sort of where I was, like last Tuesday, say. And uh, you know, we'll see where I am in uh in October. It's <laughs> a novel
1: idea because like, like you said, if they can talk about it in terms of levels, that just is wonderful. Because it and I, I love when that happens in games. And I try to do that in, in Ten Sheng quite a lot where the characters talk about things in the same way that players do. It's like, Oh, I'm opening this chakra and I'm getting this much prana out of it. That's the thing you could say in and out of character and it would make sense in either context yeah. and you know what you were talking about, and it would kinda of mean the same thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting more magic go-go juice to use my super punch on him. That's what it means?
0: Yeah, and it's jarring when it goes the other way. Like when you um, when you take D and D and novelize it, and then try to have the characters use the terms in a in a fantasy setting where they don't normally speak that way. Like yeah, that's, you know, that's odd. like like a lot of the old TSR novels used to kind of struggle with that. Like they, it seemed like they were I don't know what was going on. If there was like a style guide that was constantly changing, but but it seemed like there would be times when the characters in certain books would speak in terms of D&D game mechanics and levels and things like that, or character classes. Uh, He's and a the, fighter. Yeah. Well, it, I, a I, 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 don't, I don't know if they ever spoke of levels, but they would speak of other things that were very gamey. And it would be kind of like, oh, that's a little interesting. <laughs> um, but uh, but this is a case where the source material it fits, where, where it's actually already baked into the source material, so... It's not. It's not at all unusual to say, you know, oh well, he's at the seventh level of, you know, this technique or something. Um,
1: he's, he's an eighth rank master. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really nice to use.
0: So, so it's handy. It's very handy. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Uh, any any other thoughts before we uh, before mm-hmm. we head out?
1: I'm gonna go back to the whole establishing a mini boss thing just real quick before yeah. we head out. Um, Captain Fistomancer. Like I said, he's introduced in the same scene where you learn about what a badass he is, where you learn about what the Fist Sect is at all that they exist, their allegiance to the Jin Empire, and you get an awesome battle with them. One scene, like one just continuous inflow of information. If you are a GM and you you like having mini bosses strut in and be awesome watch that scene, the very last scene of this movie, because I've never seen it more concisely and concretely done. It's a total Boba Fett, where they're like, hey, look, that guy over there, total badass. But instead of waiting, like, a whole movie and a half to see him fail and suck, they they condense the whole thing into a single scene, and there's still a great payoff to his fight, and, like, the stakes are really high. It's awesome. Uh, As far as, like, introducing characters that you want to be badass, do it like they introduced him. Just have him strut in, just basically say hi I'm this and that demonstrate how cool they are and then if a fight happens just I mean like rely on the mechanics the the guy didn't have a huge elaborate story he had to tell he just was really good at like using his magic fists and that paid off in a fun way in the fight
0: and he and he's important in the I mean the character be, continues to be important in the story so we'll see him in the sure. next movie and and also and, and and here's what's really interesting. Again, I keep bringing this up, but he's a guy you want to watch for because he also is an important character in Return of Condor Heroes. And and it's just it's like, okay, what do you th- like? Just predict what do you think is going to be this guy's storyline? Like you know, the ne- in the next generation of heroes, when this guy's an old man, where do you think he's going to be? What what would your prediction? be? I, I don't know
1: um, I only, I've met him for one scene. I, know, I don't know, but I'm just I
0: just I just want to I just I'm just curious.
1: Oh god, um, bitter old hermit master is a pretty good trope. I guess I'll go with that. Is that okay. What it is?
0: All right. Uh, no, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say until okay, okay. until it's discovered. But it, it's just it's just more, again the, the the where he takes characters like this in that next story is 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 always is fascinating. So it, it, having these conversations before you get there is going to be interesting. So we'll make a point of bringing it up again and seeing if you have the same prediction at the end of. Uh, of the third movie.
1: Um we will see. Also but, spoiler, apparently he survives that movie, good to know.
0: Well, okay, <laughs> so so I want to say two things about that. Number one, uh there might be more to this character than you realize, and number two, uh movies and books don't always line up 100%, so don't uh don't don't go making assumptions. Um, oh, I, I shan't, I sha <laughs> But 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 yeah, no, it's uh in the books Obviously, yeah, he he uh, is a um, continues to be a character, but um, but again, I I will I I will say not without an asterisk, um, and uh, <laughs> and so, but uh, but but also oh, before we depart, how'd you feel about the the new Huang Rong because it was played by a different actress? Is it? Yeah, yeah, that was a different actress. Man,
1: that's some seamless casting.
0: And and what's um. funny too is they look totally different but somehow you do not notice the casting change I think because the personality is is, is nailed by both of them very well um, yeah the,
1: the outfits there which I think is I was paying more attention to that and like the smile that same mischievous aha smile mm-hmm. both actresses have it
0: yep and so, so. Uh, and I believe this actress continues into the next movie so they won't make any more changes but um, there was like there were a couple of other little actor changes as well but that was the big one that's like a pretty important one now inexplicably when they when they get to brave archer and his mate the guy who's playing Guo Jing ends up playing uh the main character of return of condor heroes and so they have another person playing Guo Jing, which is kind of weird but uh
1: weird, but is it like a continuance like his kid or something like that because like i mean that would you could, you could do that no I because
0: guess. because he's actually the uh uh uh, Yanghua is the main character of *Return of Condor Heroes*, and Yanghua is Yang Kang's son. So, oh. so you know, it's uh, which I guess there's another spoiler for you. Um, Yang Kang has a baby, um, but uh, I, you know, <laughs> that's but uh, not a spoiler, but yeah. So yeah, so Yang, Yang is the the son of Yang Kang and Munazi. So it's a, a you know. Which, which again, is a very interesting choice for a character. You would, you, you, you know, you, you know, your first impulse might be to make the next book about the son of Huang Rong and Guo Jing, um, or some other character that was, you know, you would you would expect to be the hero. Uh, but yeah, so so we'll be back again. Um, I think I think we've covered everything, and I know you have to get back to your 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 dad duties. Um, yep, dad out. So uh, this Friday we're going to be doing another alexander fusheng film and i think on wednesday i'm doing uh episode five of i claudius with um with adam so we have a lot going on and uh and yeah and and hopefully we'll have the third movie i we we sort of schedule these things ad hoc depending on what works for us so i don't know when that's going to be but it'll probably be sometime soon and uh and then we'll uh uh, we're going to be getting into some other things like the, we might be doing the bride with white hair or, uh, you know, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know what we'll, we'll talk, but, um, but, but we're going to be, we're going to be doing some other movies and, uh, all right. Until then, we will talk to you later.